want to tell you a couple stories tonight. The first is kind of silly. The second is decidedly not. But both of them help us remember why we're here tonight and what this whole Christmas thing is all about. Here's the first one. One of my mom's love languages is gifts. And in her mind, an appliance does not count as a gift. Some of you are nodding your heads. You must agree. Um, my wife actually is quite practical, and so she actually enjoys that. Uh, I married way over my head. Um, but <laughs> mom would always, like, dad would want to get her something, and she's like, That's, that doesn't count. That's not a gift. Well, one year for Christmas, back in the late 80s, there was this product that was advertised ad nauseum on TV called the Salad Shooter. Do you remember this thing? The, the commercial lives rent-free in my head, right? Salad Shooter, like it just... <sighs> well, we, it would come on over and over and over again on TV, and my dad would tell mom, I'm going to get you one of those for Christmas. And he kept saying that. I'm going to get you one of those for Christmas. I'm going to get you one of those for Christmas. You know, I, you know we, we thought Dad was joking. He wasn't joking. So on, Sunday, on Christmas morning, Mom opened up her present. It's about yay big, you know. And it was this, this box. looked just like that. And she goes, real funny, Mark. Because she, was, she had thought he'd gotten a hold of a box somehow and put her actual gift in this box. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it was the infamous salad shooter, you know. And if I remember right, it was really cold that Christmas too. <laughs> Maybe it was just on our house, I don't know, but... Here, here's the weird thing. I, my mom was ticked, right, that dad bought her a, you know, a little appliance, um, the salad shooter thing. The thing is, she ended up using it quite a bit. It actually was a pretty practical little gizmo, right? And, and I mean, salads and pizzas and all the things that you can, you know, watch them do with it. And it, it, it actually had a legitimate, like, practical use, and I was just kind of curious. I wanted like, how much did dad pay for that dumb thing? You know, so I went and looked it up. And sweetie, I love you. I'm not buying you one. Like, it's, it's kind of pricey for the little gizmo. Like, I was surprised how much it cost. So there was probably some kind of sacrifice that my dad made to get this salad shooter, you know. And that's the strange thing about love. Love, real love has to be demonstrated. Now, if you don't normally attend Chapel Rock, my name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. I'd, I'd love to meet you when we're done. If you want to come down and say hi. Uh, also, tomorrow morning is, happens to be a Sunday, and we're going to have church. So if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to think about joining us uh, uh, here at, at Chapel Rock. For the last month or so, Kyle mentioned earlier, we've been in a sermon series looking at the various themes of Advent, hope and peace and joy. And tonight we're talking about Love. This series is called A Few of My Favorite Things, and if you have a song from The Sound of Music playing in your head right now, that's okay. We spent the month of December talking about what makes these traditional themes of Advent so great, and tonight we're talking about love, specifically God's love for us revealed at Christmas. Here's what I want you to remember on this Christmas Eve 2022. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. Now, I know among Christian people in church on Christmas Eve, the reaction that sentiment tends to get is, well, 
duh. Yeah. But that's kind of the thing about Advent. That's kind of what it's supposed to do, isn't it? It's supposed to remind us of what we already know so we can recommit ourselves to that which is most important. I mean, if you followed him for more than just a few minutes, you ought to know that Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. God's love for us is what sent Jesus into the world at Christmas time. It's what sent Jesus to the cross. It's what held Jesus to the cross. It's what raised him from the grave, and it's what will bring him back again one day in glory to take us to be with him. We know this is true. So why do we need to be reminded every year at Christmas? Let me give you two reasons. Here's the first one. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. It costs him something. He doesn't need to love us. God is the freest being in the universe. He could, within the limits of his character, he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need to love you. He chooses to. In fact, he sacrifices so that he can. Now you're thinking, Casey, how in the world could God make a sacrifice? Well, at Christmas time, we tend to look at really familiar passages. This Christmas is no exception. I want you to look with me. It'll be up on the screen of what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3. Now, the end of the passage, you probably don't even need the screen. You probably have John 3:16 memorized. But Jesus says something just a few verses earlier that kind of connects that great verse that we all know to Christmas. Look with me at John 3, 13. Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Kids, when did Jesus come from heaven? Christmas. I think that was an adult, but that's okay. He came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, probably this is the point where Jesus stops speaking and John, the author, picks back up. But it reads in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think it's really important that God ties that Jesus, rather, ties God's love of the world to the idea of him having come from heaven. That's why he came. He came because he loves you. I want you to get this. It's vital that you understand this. Heaven was made less so that you could be made more. What's that do to your celebration of Christmas? God's willingness to make heaven less in Christmas was part of how he loved you. So what are you talking about? The second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son, became the man and was born as Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, the presence of God the Son left heaven and came here. Heaven was made less so that you could be made more. That's part of how God loved you. He sacrificed for you. And the kind of life that he gives us transcends biological life. It's eternal life. It's life like God has life. That's the kind of life that he sacrificed so he wants you to have. He gave up his own son for you. Listen, if this whole stage were to erupt in flame, 
I really, I, I, I really believe I would do this. I, I would come, I would, I'd come, make sure that you got out, and then I'd make sure that you got out, and I'd come back and I'd make sure that you got out, and I'd come back and I'd make sure that you got out, and then I'd make sure that you got out. I really believe that I would do that most nights. Not tonight. So you guys better have the exits pretty clearly marked out on your own, okay? You know why? My kids are here. I love you. I might risk my life for you, but I won't risk theirs. But God, God sent his only son so that we could be saved. He sacrificed. Jesus left the light and glory of heaven to come live in the darkness and shame of earth. He did that because he loves you. But God's love isn't just sacrificial. It's also simultaneously and surprisingly quite practical. God's love is practical in the sense that he shows us how to love. His love for us is an example of how we should love each other. And he didn't have to do this either, right? He could have just declared us righteous. Like we could all think, okay, when you die, that's it. Game over. Dark, you know, curtain drops in the end. And then get to heaven and go, hey, cool, look, there's more. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he loves you enough to want you to live like him here. He loves you so much that he wants you to live the way he lives here. It, it, it's incredibly practical. He shows us how to love. Paul has a really wonderful take on this in Romans chapter 5. Look at this with me on the screen. Romans 5 verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the same word that's used in Acts 2 to describe God pouring out the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see that word demonstrates? Real love has to be demonstrated. God, God demonstrates his love for us in the incarnation and sacrificial death on the cross in your place for your sins that Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem. God's love is practical in the most impractical way. The, the text says he poured his love out on us. He showed us how to love. God looked down on a world and he says, my children aren't loving each other. Anybody here on social media? You know what I'm talking about then. Y'all watch the news? Yeah. God looks down at this world. He said, my kids aren't loving each other. I gotta go show them how. And so he poured out his love. For God, the most practical thing he could do is to demonstrate his love, to show us what it's like. He's saying, my children, this is how you love. I told you I want to tell you two stories tonight. Here's the second one. Jim and Bill were friends their whole lives. They grew up in the same neighborhood in New York City. And as young men were swept up in the climactic events that ultimately led to the United States entering into World War I when they reinstituted the draft in 1917 for the first time since the Civil War. And these two young guys who'd, who'd literally grown up together were both drafted, same boot camp, same company assignment, and sent to that wretched European stalemate that we call the Great War, World War I. 
Month after month, they lived out their lives in the trenches, exposed to the elements, always with their feet in the mud, always under fire and under orders. From time to time, one side or the other would rise up out of the trenches and fling their bodies against the opposing side. Here's a picture from that time frame. Here's a World War I trench. <laughs> See the guy's boots on the left side? He's trying to get some sleep. Every now and then, they'd just throw themselves up over the edge and run out into an area between the trenches called no man's land. Day after day, night after night, terror after terror, they, these two men, Jim and Bill, talked about life, and the women that they loved back home, and they, how they hoped that they might make it home to see them one day. It was late December, 1918, about Christmas time. The battleground, the weather had turned cold and wet in France. And it turned those trenches and the ground between them into an endless maze of misery. And yet the commanders ordered them forward. And so on the last fruitless charge of the day, these men hurled their bodies up out of, over the edge of the trench and ran. And in the chaos of war, Bill didn't realize that Jim fell, wounded. Jim, rather, Bill made it back to the safety of the trenches. He hadn't seen Jim fall, and as they're back and they're kind of doing a head count and who made it, he realizes that his brother-in-arms is gone. He asks the commanding officer, can I go look for Jim? The officer's like, are you crazy? No! And he turned his back, and Bill's love for his friend overcame his sense of soldierly decorum and he threw his body up that mud cake ladder over the edge and out into no man's land. The shelling continued. <laughs> the danger was at his peak and Bill knew that Jim was laying out there alone, suffering, his life slowly ebbing away, watching bullets streak overhead and the fire, the sky light up with fire from exploding ordnance laying there alone between the trenches in no man's land. And Bill just began to move through that hellscape toward his friend. He reached him, he found him. They spoke briefly, Bill managed to get Jim onto his back. He's working frantically to try to bind his friend to his own body using whatever tools he had at hand because he knew he'd have to crawl. He knew that if he stood up, they'd both die. And so with the help of his belt and the shoulder strap of Jim's rifle, Bill draped his friend across his body and crawled through that hellscape. The air shook with the shock of exploding ammunition. Fire raged around him. Mud soaked his clothes and pulled at his boots inch by inch, though he, he closed the gap between where Jim fell and the American Army's trench. In what must have seemed like hours, but was probably less than half of one, Bill managed to get Jim back to the safety of the trenches. When he finally crawled down into the trench, sweaty and exhausted from his work, he got to have his first look at his friend since he found him on the battlefield. Sadly, Bill was too late. Jim had died. The somewhat self-righteous officer, seeing Jim's body, cynically asked Bill if his sacrifice had been worth the risk. 
Bill didn't hesitate. Yes, sir, it was. Absolutely was. He said, really? How do you know? He said, sir, Jim's last words to me made it, made it all worth it. He said, oh, his last words, huh? What were his last words, soldier? Voice strong, clear eyes. Bill said, he looked me in the eye, sir, and he said, I knew you'd come. We hear that story of one friend's love for another, and we're tempted to think that's the most impractical, crazy, insane thing I ever heard. Yeah, that's love. It doesn't make sense. It is kind of nuts. It's, it, it's on the surface, it looks impractical. <laughs> we didn't even know he was coming, but that's what Jesus did for us, didn't he? He looked at us alone, between the trenches, bleeding out. He said, I, I love him. I gotta go. We didn't even know he was coming. And he arrived, and he lived our life with us perfectly. And he died on the cross in our place for our sin to prove, to demonstrate his love. That's what God gave you at Christmas. He gave his love. It was costly, but it was also practical. He showed us how to love. It's way better than a salad shooter. (laughs) It's the greatest gift in the history of the universe. Now, I know that tomorrow morning or tonight or whenever you do your stuff, I'm pretty sure none of you are going to open up a salad shooter. Pretty sure. Guys, if that's what you did, uh, you probably have like an hour to get to the store. Um, but I sure hope you won't walk out of here tonight without opening up God's love for you because he gave his life. It's, it, it's sacrificial, yes, but it's practical. Did you hear me? Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us, and we're going to sing a couple songs that celebrate that. Tonight, as you were given, uh, you were given as you came in, a candle. So I'm going to ask.